0: Due to the graphic nature of this cult's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of violence and war. We advise extreme caution for children under 13.
1: That day in 1985 could have been just like any other for Severino Lucoya. But something was very, very wrong. By the time he found his daughter, she wasn't herself anymore. 29-year-old Alice Auma was under the command of someone else. Or maybe it was something else.
0: Severino tried to communicate with Alice, but it was no use. She couldn't hear or speak. He dragged his daughter across the Ugandan village of Opeet, looking for a way to free her from the spirit's hold. They visited nearly a dozen healers, but nothing worked.
1: Severino was terrified for Alice. But then, slowly, something dawned on him. Maybe this moment wasn't so bad after all. Maybe it was a sign.
0: Decades ago, God had come to him in a vision. One of his children would communicate with the Holy Spirits.
1: Severino had no idea who would be selected or when it would happen. The more he thought of it, though, the more Severino was sure. Alice had been chosen. She was the child who'd been blessed by God himself.
0: She was the one.
1: Hi, I'm Greg Polson.
0: And I'm Vanessa Richardson.
1: And this is Cults, a Spotify original from ParCast. Every Tuesday, we look at a cult's practices, their leader, and their followers. You can find all episodes of Cults and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify.
0: This week, we'll introduce Alice Auma, a young woman who was struck by a deep religious calling after she was possessed by a spirit. While the 1985 Ugandan Civil War raged around her, Alice received a message from an unlikely spirit.
1: Next week, we'll watch as Alice's movement shifts into something very different. As tensions rose in Uganda, Alice decided that her role as a religious leader was better served on the battlefield we have all that and more coming up. Stay with us.
2: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between
1: the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To
0: Die For. Search To Die For in your podcast app to follow the show. Throughout her life, Alice Auma, often known as Alice LaQuena, was labeled as many things. To some, she was a voodoo priestess. To others, she was an international celebrity, someone to be gawked at. And for her followers, she was the prophetic medium to a host of spirits who would lead the way to a new, idyllic future for the country of Uganda.
1: But her story isn't easy to distill into one idea. There's no soundbite that could encapsulate everything. Alice La Quenna's journey is a complicated one, and it's far bigger than just one person.
0: In fact, her story began well before she was even born.
1: Alice's father, Severino Lucoya, was an extremely spiritual man, and by his own account, he'd witnessed numerous miracles. He believed that God had designed every single part of his life. If anything bad happened to him, it was a punishment for sin, and if anything good happened, it was proof that he was following a righteous path.
0: By 1958, Severino had achieved the life that he believed God had promised him. He had a wife and many children, including two-year-old Alice. The family lived in northern Uganda, where Severino and his wife raised their children as Anglicans, a branch of Christianity. Severino even worked as a catechist for the Anglican Church of Uganda.
1: Things seemed to be going well, but at some point over the years, four of the family's children died. Severino believed this was God's punishment for his sins. Then, on November 11, 1958, Severino received an urgent message from God after he'd suddenly lost consciousness.
0: There are conflicting stories about how exactly this happened. One version claims that he fell off the roof of his house. Another says that his wife beat him so severely that he fainted.
1: Either way, Severino passed out. And in this altered state, he witnessed a vibrant, holy vision. According to Severino, his spirit ascended to heaven, and he met several biblical figures.
0: The first was Jesus, who pulled up Severino's name in a book of all the living people on earth. Written next to his name was the word love.
1: Abraham appeared next, and he seemed moved by the presence of this word. Clearly, it meant that Severino was destined to be part of something very important, Abraham passed the important message to David, who told Severino to look to the north. He gazed up and saw angels all around him, praying for peace on earth.
0: Finally, Moses arrived, offering Severino the Ten Commandments. He instructed Severino to bring the tablets back to earth. But once Moses said these words, Severino experienced a sudden alien sensation. He was
1: possessed by countless spirits, He felt their energy moving through him in a frenzied burst. In an instant, a voice called out, All these spirits will come to your children. A choice has already been made among your children. And with that, Severino woke up.
0: He was deeply impacted by the vision. Severino had no way of knowing which child was going to be called upon by the spirits. But one of them would be, he was sure of that. And he acted accordingly.
1: Vanessa is going to take over on the psychology here and throughout the episode. Please note, Vanessa is not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but we have done a lot of research for this show.
0: Thanks, Greg. Most people are familiar with the concept of a self-fulfilling prophecy, where the belief that something will happen ends up making it happen. There's another concept similar to this called the observer expectancy effect— Normally this term is used around psychological studies. A researcher can inadvertently influence the results of a study with their preconceived ideas of how things will turn out. Small cues, like the observer's facial expressions or body language, can discreetly sway the study participants toward the expected outcome. The information surrounding Alice Auma's childhood is hazy at best. But it's likely that after her father's vision of heaven, Severino behaved differently toward his children, even if he didn't realize it. And it's also possible that this slight change helped push Alice toward her own realization as an adult, that she was the chosen one.
1: But that process would take a long, long time. From what little is known about Alice's early life, her day-to-day experience wasn't especially noteworthy. She went to primary school, but quit after her seventh year.
0: As a young woman, Alice married twice, but both ended for the same reason. She wasn't producing children. So after things ended with her second husband in 1979, Alice chose to return to her father's home in the northern village of Opeet.
1: There, 23-year-old Alice made a modest living for herself, selling fish at the railway station. She briefly began seeing another man, though it's not known what came of that relationship. Then, at some point, she converted from Anglicanism to Catholicism.
0: On its surface, this change wasn't that monumental. By the late 1980s, 66% of Ugandans were Christians, with a nearly even split between Protestants and Catholics.
1: And Christians in Uganda often blended their faith with elements from other local religions, creating a hybrid spiritual practice. This was true for the Acholi people, the community that lived in the northern region of Uganda.
0: So it wasn't unusual for Alice, as an Acholi person, to gravitate toward Catholicism. But this change might also suggest that she was starting to reconsider her relationship with religion in general. Perhaps Alice
1: wasn't fully satisfied with the faith she was used to. She wanted something different, something that was new to her. But even in Catholicism, she didn't quite find what she was looking for.
0: For six years, Alice Auma remained as anonymous as anyone else. She, like her neighbors in Opeet, tried to live a normal life, while the future of her country hung in the balance.
1: From the 1960s to the 1980s, tensions rose between the Ugandan government and its people. Power changed hands several times, and once a new group took over, they used their role to take swift revenge on anyone who had stood in their
0: way. In 1985, this long period of retribution exploded in a military coup, followed by an all-out civil war. It must have been an extremely stressful, uncertain time for Alice, but it proved to be important for a very different reason. That year, when she was 29 years old, her life changed forever.
1: Something happened to Alice. Severino found her in the midst of what might have looked like a psychotic episode. Alice couldn't speak. She couldn't hear. She behaved erratically, like she was an entirely different
0: person. The more Severino observed his daughter, the more he was sure of it. She wasn't herself at all. She appeared possessed. In the Acholi
1: community, the concept of spiritual possession bridged across religious beliefs. It didn't matter if someone was Christian or practiced the traditional religions from pre-colonial times. This sort of thing could happen to anyone.
0: The spirit inhabiting the victim is called a sen, and it's the vengeful ghost of a person who suffered a bad death. People believed that the sen had the power to inflict all kinds of problems and illnesses on its victim, including infertility, insanity, and even AIDS. So this kind of attack was a very urgent matter and something that had to be taken care of immediately.
1: Severino took Alice all over the village of Opite, visiting 11 local healers but none of them found a way to help. Both Alice and her father were likely terrified.
0: But at some point, the feeling around this moment shifted. Severino remembered the prophetic message from God, saying that one of his children would be chosen as a spirit medium.
1: Maybe this was the answer to that message. Maybe Alice was the one.
0: Alice was evidently aware enough to comprehend the importance of this moment, too. She'd known about this mysterious message from God since she was a child. Soon, both she and her father were convinced Alice had been chosen. Suddenly,
1: the possession seemed to retreat, or at least Alice could speak again. And almost immediately, she began preaching the word of God to the village of Opete.
0: In April, Alice asked for people to gather in the town center so they could witness how her father had blessed her with this holy gift. But the community wasn't initially convinced of her prowess as a religious leader. No one came.
1: Alice wasn't deterred. She could already feel it. She was chosen for something great, something much bigger than herself. The spirits would show her the path.
0: And in a way, she was right. A message was coming for Alice Aoma. In a few short weeks, her life would be changed forever.
1: Coming up, Alice receives the call.
0: Love, it's been the subject of poems, novels, music, and film. It's also been the driving force behind some of the most horrendous crimes in history. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson. Join me for season two of Criminal Couples and meet the lovers who took their passion to perilous lengths. Featuring standout episodes from female criminals, serial killers, solved murders, and crimes of passion, this season of Criminal Couples gets to the heart of what makes two turn to a life of murderous crime. Some couples were set off by revenge or greed. Others were fueled by sex and drugs. All acted in the name of love. Discover the darker side of desire in Season 2 of the Spotify original from ParCast, Criminal Couples. Follow for free and tune in every Monday, only on Spotify.
2: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be.
0: By 1985, 29-year-old Alice Auma was certain that her father's prophetic vision was true. God had chosen Alice to spread the holy word. There was just one problem. No one else believed her.
1: Because at this point, Alice's claims weren't exactly unique. Spirit mediums were actually pretty common in the region, and almost all of them said they'd been possessed by a spirit at some point.
0: To better understand Alice's trajectory, we need to take a step back and look at the way that spirituality already existed in Uganda, and within her community in Opeet. Religion was a major part of Acholi culture. Many people in the region practiced various forms of Christian ideology, including Alice's own family. But as we mentioned earlier, these beliefs were often blended with elements of the traditional Acholi religion, which had its own unique rites and rituals. A perfect
1: example of this was the presence of spirit mediums or priests called Ajwaka. According to the community, Ajwakas were able to communicate with ancestral spirits who imbued them with supernatural powers.
0: They were an integral part of daily life in Opet. They were healers who claimed to cure the sick and cast out any evil forces brought on by curses or evil spirit possession. The Acholi people even believed that an Ajwaka could inflict a spirit possession on someone if they wanted to.
1: Ajwaka were often Acholi women who couldn't have children. It was believed that the spirit commanding the Ajwaka didn't allow her to conceive, so that she could better communicate with the ancestral realm.
0: But to become an ajwaka, a woman had to experience a series of specific life events.
1: Most notably, she would be struck by a violent unknown illness. Even if her family brought her to a local healer, they wouldn't be able to determine the source of her problem or offer any kind of cure. Because she wasn't actually sick, she'd been possessed by a spirit
0: the intensity of this possession only abated when the woman accepted her role as a medium for these ancestral forces. Then the spirit restored her faculties, allowing her to speak and behave as normal, and once an ajwaka followed their commandments, then she could heal the sick, foretell the future, take spiritual vengeance on enemies, and cast out spiritual illnesses that plagued the community.
1: So far, Alice Auma was walking the same path that many other Ajwaka had already taken. But in May of 1985,
0: her journey diverged. Because Alice wasn't interested in becoming an Ajwaka, she wasn't just going to be a healer. She claimed to be a Nebi, the Christian version of an Ajwaka.
1: This distinction was important. The Ajwaka were inhabited by ancestral spirits, the ghosts of people who belonged to the community. But Anebi was often possessed by unknown spirits, who served as messengers for God himself.
0: Their titles represent different things. An Ajuaka is a healer and practitioner of magic. Anebi is a prophet.
1: After this point, Alice's story became a blend of fact and fiction. So, as we continue with her story, it's important to acknowledge that we don't always know which version of events is actually true.
0: The events that allegedly occurred throughout May and June of 1985 were later mythologized into a story called The Journey to Para, and that eventually became the backbone of Alice's entire movement.
1: The story goes like this. On May 15th, the same spirit once again possessed Alice. By this point, the entity had been given a name, Laquena, which means messenger in the Acholi language.
0: Laquena explained that he was the Christian spirit of a dead Italian military officer. He was profoundly intelligent, claiming to know 74 languages. Alice later described him as a God fearing and disciplined person.
1: Laquena instructed Alice and Severino to travel from OP to Para, in the national park over 40 miles west. There, Laquena explained she would speak to the animals. Evidently, they had something to teach her.
0: The journey took Alice and her father four days, but finally they reached the park. Surrounded by the lush greenery, Alice felt connected to everything she saw—the animals, the waterfalls, and even the grass.
1: As the story goes, she first spoke to the land animals, saying, God sent me to ask you whether you bear responsibility for the bloodshed in Uganda. They told Alice that they held no role in the
0: violence. She then spoke to the aquatic animals and even to the water itself. She asked who caused so much violence in her country.
1: The waterfall was the first natural being to give an answer. It explained that all the blame lay upon the shoulders of humankind, more specifically, the sinners of the world. The waterfall promised to provide Alice with healing water so that she could mend those in need. She pledged to offer it a sacrifice of coins, cowrie shells, and a sheep in thanks.
0: Alice returned to Opit on May 30th without the healing water, but her journey wasn't over. A few days later, she received another message from Laquena. She and her father needed to travel even further. This time, they'd make their way to Mount Kilak, near the Ugandan-South Sudan border.
1: When Alice and Severino reached the mountain, a bright orb of light guided them to a specific spot. With overflowing excitement, they followed the glowing beacon, weaving through the brush in the dark.
0: Finally, the orb reached its destination, floating in place above the glassy surface of a small pond. This was the promise that the waterfall had made to her back in Para. The water had been instilled with healing properties.
1: Alice gathered as much of the liquid as she could to bring it back to Opeet. Her community desperately needed help. And now, with this holy gift, Alice had the tools to cure them.
0: But the water wasn't the only reason that Alice needed to come to the summit. As she had already seen in Para, the natural world was alive with voices. And she had another lesson to learn. According to the story, LaQuena spoke through her, addressing the mountain itself. LaQuena asked why there was theft in the world.
1: The mountain said that the natural elements played no role in such things. Again, Alice was told that the sinners were responsible for theft and for all the corruption that had been brought to the earth. The mountain, the animals, none of them were sinful in the way humans were. People were the ones who had to be punished, particularly those practicing vengeful witchcraft.
0: The evil nature of humankind led them to practice witchcraft, which only brought about more violence, bloodshed, and tyranny. This was the source of such endless suffering across Uganda.
1: The Mountain left Alice with one final message, a call to action. It wasn't enough for her to know this universal truth. Humankind had to be held responsible for their terrible deeds.
0: She had a holy quest to complete. Through the guidance of Laquena, Alice understood that it was her job to fight against the sinners of the world, bring peace to the planet and heal.
1: Now, it's unlikely that any of this happened. But this mythic story served an important purpose. It was the proof that Alice needed to legitimize her claims of divine guidance.
0: A spiritual mission is a common element of many religious leaders' origin story, but they might adopt this story for a variety of reasons. Some individuals fall into a category that therapist Rachel Bernstein describes as the delusional martyr, someone who fully believes that they've been chosen for some kind of special holy quest. And as they recruit followers, they do so through a genuine stance of religious zealotry. But sometimes a spiritual calling acts as a way to fulfill the leader's self-obsession. If an individual already feels special, this religious epiphany reinforces that belief. Bernstein calls these types of leaders the hard-and-fast narcissist, a person who exploits religious power to reaffirm their sense of superiority over others. But Alice's spiritual awakening isn't so simple to categorize. Her community in Opeed already had its own system of spiritualism, so she needed to demonstrate that she was in a class entirely her own. She wasn't simply a healer, but a prophet, someone destined for far greater things. So the trip to
1: Para wasn't just a way to confirm her unique connection with God. It was a way of challenging the established system and of forging an entirely new path for herself.
0: Above everything else, this prophetic experience completely changed Alice. By this time, she had shed her given name, Alice Aoma.
1: She was now Alice Laquena. The Spirit had taken control of her entire selfhood, and her identity was now inextricably tied to him. The Spirit had a plan for her, and she was ready to follow it, wherever it took her.
0: Finally, her holy quest could begin...
1: Coming up, Alice's movement takes shape, and she gains her first followers. Now back to the story.
0: When Alice LaQuena returned to Opeed in the summer of 1985, she brought with her a holy quest – to fight against the sinners of the world. The spirit Laquena would show the 29-year-old how to combat witchcraft and the forces of evil that plagued Uganda. Only then could she help restore peace and purify the people affected by the ongoing fighting.
1: Alice's prophetic journey had kept her away from Opeet for 40 days. And in that time, the conditions in her village had become dire.
0: Decades of violence had reached a fever pitch, erupting in a bloody civil war that raged across the country. The Acholi people fought alongside the Uganda National Liberation Army, trying to keep the current administration in power.
1: The Acholi suffered massive casualties, battling against a coup that quickly gained traction. In Opeed, Alice found her community in a state of constant mourning and profound fear.
0: A lot of the alarm, paranoia, and desperation that spread through Opeat was connected to a fear of witchcraft.
1: The concept of witchcraft had existed within the local culture for centuries, well before European colonization. Witchcraft was often used to explain day-to-day problems. Illnesses or bad fortune could be the result of a curse or even possession by an evil spirit.
0: But witchcraft was also thought to inflict larger evils, such as political unrest, epidemics, and violence. All of these things were thought to be disruptions of the moral order and a result of evil people dabbling in dark forces.
1: Normally, problems caused by witchcraft could be solved through purification or healing rituals, often performed by the spiritual mediums, the ajwaka.
0: For example, soldiers returning home from war would be healed before they were allowed back into the community so that they didn't bring the spirits of the dead with them.
1: But by 1985, many people believed that the levels of witchcraft had reached a dangerous high. They were surrounded by so much violence and bloodshed. There had to be a reason for all this suffering. They assumed that more people must be practicing witchcraft than ever before. Neighbors turned against each other, accusing them of causing the ongoing violence that threatened their community.
0: One way to think of this reaction is as a form of emotional displacement. As people felt powerless to stop the war raging around them, it might have been easier to displace their fear, anger, or frustration onto a familiar source, like a neighbor or a spouse. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs found that it's especially common for people to express feelings of anger after long periods of distress. Basically, there's a relationship between anger and trauma. This might be because anger is connected to our survival instincts, which are heightened during times of threat, like war. Even before the Civil War of the mid-1980s, Uganda had been in turmoil. Now, the Acholi people were dealing with constant casualties and the promise of more violence to come. So, it's not surprising that some people chose to displace their anger and fear onto others in their community. We also have to consider the specific context of the Acholi people and how they interpreted the concept of witchcraft. In this community, it was widely believed that people used mystical forces as an act of revenge. So, the suspicion was already inherent. Combine that with the trauma from the ongoing civil war, and it was almost inevitable that neighbors would accuse each other of supernatural violence.
1: This was the culture that Alice LaQuena returned to after her spiritual awakening. Based on the information we have, it's unclear how she grappled with the tension at first, but it does seem like she spent some time using her newfound powers in a similar way that the Ajwaka did, Healing.
0: One story claims that when Alice arrived back in Opet, she used the waters from Mount Kilok to miraculously heal the wounds of soldiers returning from battle.
1: This story is a useful insight into the first few months of Alice's new life as a religious prophet. It's possible that, despite her holy mission, she believed that her powers were best used to heal the sick and protect them from witchcraft.
0: And as the year ended, things were looking hopeful, The government's National Liberation Army and the National Resistance Army, or NRA, met for peace talks. It seemed like the fighting might finally cease. But it was a fleeting hope.
1: In January of 1986, the NRA marched on the Ugandan capital of Kampala, overturning the government and destroying the defense force. The Acholi people suffered more massive casualties. The fighters who did survive rushed home in a panic.
0: Suddenly, Opit was overrun with former soldiers, but the community didn't want them there, afraid of the spirits of the dead that clung to them. They worried they would bring more misfortune and suffering to the village.
1: The fear was palpable. Even the healing powers of the Ajuaka weren't much of a comfort. Too many people had died, and too many soldiers were coming to the village. It just wasn't safe enough.
0: But Alice wasn't afraid of these men, and she made it her mission to heal them, even if no one else would. She set up a purification site on the outskirts of the village. The process often took several days and involved a variety of rituals.
1: Alice's process borrowed some elements of the Acholi religion and mixed them with Christian rites, creating a system entirely her own. She named her practice the Holy Spirit Movement.
0: The soldiers were instructed to burn whatever magic charms they had brought into battle. Then, Alice sprinkled them with water and made them sing Catholic hymns. Finally, they had to spit out all their evil deeds into a pig's mouth. The pig was then ritually sacrificed.
1: When it came time for the soldiers to return to war, Alice purified them again. The soldiers created small human-like forms out of clay to represent the spirits they'd taken with them from battle. They placed these clay figures under a tree and prayed that all the evil spirits would stay with the tree and not follow them to the battlefield.
0: Over several days, the soldiers revisited the figures, scratching them and praying over them. They also took part in Alice's version of Holy Communion. She gave them a magical medicine made from sacrificed animal parts and vegetables. It was meant to strengthen and protect the men in war.
1: After this process, the soldiers were finally considered pure. They could be reintegrated into the community and could return to the battlefield, spiritually armed against the enemy.
0: Alice blessed and purified 150 soldiers around this time. She left an impact on the soldiers under her care, solidifying her role as a powerful spiritual leader. These men were the initial members of her Holy Spirit movement, and as far as we know, she was content in her role as a healer. Maybe this was the path that La Quena had set out for her.
1: But on August 6, 1986, Alice received another message. Laquena told her to stop healing. To him, it was a foolish task that no longer had any value.
0: Because at this point, the Acholi people were being targeted with even more violence in the form of retribution. The new Ugandan leaders wanted revenge on the soldiers who had fought for the former government.
1: Evidently, Laquena was aware of this. According to the Holy Spirit Movement's recounting of Alice's new message from Laqueta, he said that. It is useless to cure a man today, only that he be killed the next day.
0: The solution, Laquena said, was simple. Alice must take up a new task, one that would show the true power of her abilities as a prophet, something that would affect not only her or her followers, but the entire country.
1: She had to lead her followers to a new Uganda, one free from the corruption that had destroyed her community. Alice had to take the country by force.
0: And to do that, she needed to create a holy army.
1: Thanks for tuning into Cults. We'll be back next week with part two of Alice LaQuena's story. We'll see how Alice responded to this new call to action, transitioning her peace movement into a militaristic force with a lofty goal to create a new, idyllic Uganda.
0: For more information on Alice LaQuena, amongst the many sources we used, we found Heike Baron's book, Alice LaQuena and the Holy Spirits, especially helpful to our research.
1: You can find all episodes of Cults and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify.
0: We'll see you next time. Cults
1: is a Spotify original from ParCast. It is executive produced by Max and Ron Cutler. Sound designed by Anthony Valsik. With production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Cults was written by Georgia Hampton, with writing assistance by Robert Tyler Walker, fact checking by Claire Cronin, and research by Brian Petrus and Chelsea Wood. Cult stars Greg Polson and Vanessa Richardson.
0: It's been said that love is a many-splendored thing. That is, until it's not. In Season 2 of Criminal Couples, discover true stories of couples who turned their love lives into a life of crime. Lies and deceit are just the beginning. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Criminal Couples. Catch new episodes every Monday, free and only on Spotify.